to Startup in Estonia, the podcast where we discuss different pillars of a successful startup ecosystem by showcasing examples from Estonia. In this season, we take a deeper dive into verticals of startups, such as educational technology, AI and machine learning, cybersecurity, financial technologies, talent HR, and more. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud, and for more information about the startup ecosystem in Estonia, visit startupestonia.ee. Without further ado, it's time to dive into today's episode. Here's your host, Jiao Ray. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of the Startup in Estonia podcast. This season, we've been exploring different themes of the startup scene in Estonia. Today's episode is about fintechs, and Estonia is home to several successful fintech startups. I'm very pleased to welcome two such startups to the show. We have Kaidi Ruzalab from Thunderbeam and Noris Koppel from Moneze. Welcome to the show. So, Kaidi, tell us a little bit about Thunderbeam. Uh, what's it all about and how did it get started? Thunderbeam is a uh, platform of funding and trading global uh, private companies. So it is like a private exchange so that the uh, early stage and growth companies and also SMEs could raise the funds. We have investors already from uh, 119 uh, countries. And when investors invest, later they can start trading with their investments. So in, in a way... We're, we're unique. Uh, we introduced rather unique uh, legal structures, which enables investors to invest uh, uh, to the companies. I mean, it's not unique. It's it's like unique for the trading, but uh, nominee as, as such is, is not unique. And and how did it start? It, it's uh, as uh, many of the companies, it starts uh, from the background of the core team, the background of, of myself. And um, the main kick uh, for Thunderbeam uh, was this Estonia to be the small uh, country. And if you really want to do it, it's, it's like 2013. If you really want to do something global, as a, uh, then either you go and work for the corporates here in Estonia, you move out of the country or you set something yourself. So we choose, so the, to, we choose uh, the letter. <laughs> to set something yourself. Yes. So that was 2013. 13, yes. Yeah. And, uh, and back then, I think, you know, the blockchain was a big component of uh, Thunderbeam? It's, uh, we, we first we started with building the data analytics because if, if you started enabling investment and trading of, of such a uh, small and closed and private companies, then inf- information becomes a problem. So we first built like a data analytics and then 2015 when the blockchain became already like a mainstream, we, we thought that okay, this is now the technology which helps us to to change the industry and, and cut out the intermediaries and build the build it on the blockchain. So we still use the blockchain, but we use it more like a uh, ledger, like a trusted ledger to record the investments and transactions because, to be honest, the technology didn't develop as, as uh, fast as we expected to. So it didn't, and it still doesn't have the capacity to run the trading uh, through it. So we had to kind of... Uh, 
downgraded a bit, but it still uses the main aim, which is to provide the additional trust of keeping the ledger secure. Yeah, we're going to come to trust soon, but yeah. uh, notice, tell us a little bit about uh, Monese. How did you start it and what was the what was the main reason for it? Uh, uh, Monese is a global banking service company that uh, launched uh, officially in 2015 in the UK. Uh, we are currently operating in uh, 31 European markets and we just uh, signed up our uh, first million uh, customers. Uh, we also have um, raised about $80 million to date from uh, uh, investors like PayPal and so on. Uh, the founding story of Moniz really is uh, coming from my own very personal pain. So when I moved abroad many years ago, uh, I had a good job and I um, uh, found a good apartment, um, but I couldn't open a simple bank account. And I started wondering whether there is something that can be done because obviously the system was broken. And the reason why many people are struggling with uh, simple things like account opening in a new country is because of the regulatory requirements. Banks are, uh, by law, uh, required to make uh, two background checks on customers. And it's uh, notoriously difficult if a customer is coming from abroad and uh, has uh, no paperwork, for example, things like bank statements or, or utility bills and so on in a new country. So... Um, the idea for, for Monis is actually pretty bold. So as I said, uh, I use the word global. Uh, so in my, in my head, uh, the vision basically is that uh, I want to, um, to be able, for, for Monis to be able to give um, banking services, financial, financial services uh, to anyone, anywhere. So the idea is that right now we are sitting here in uh, Tallinn, uh, but uh, if you open a Monis account here and you fly over to, let's say, UK, we can give you anything that you need in all these countries. I mean, bank accounts, cards, remittance, uh, lending products, uh, all this stuff. So it, so that has to do with, uh, you know, the, the main frustration was that the KYC-related issues with, with traditional banking how do you how do you disrupt that? I mean, that seems to be a big part of traditional banking, and uh, you know, in a way, it adds trust to the banking system. So, how do you go around that? One one thing that uh, is not maybe frequently talked about is that banking in its nature is incredibly incredibly local and domestic. So, you go to any bank, let's say in the UK, Germany, and so on, and uh, how they operate is is incredibly local. They are built from day one to serve local customers in their local languages and so on. So, it's not never never meant to scale that way. So, we are kind of um, thinking uh, outside the box here a little bit, and we are thinking that how do we how do we make sure that anyone anywhere doesn't matter what's background with your passport nationality and so on how do we make things possible for, for these people how do we give them the freedom to thrive anywhere on the planet so um, in terms of trust you know a lot has been uh, talked about you know People don't trust banks and so on. But to be honest, I don't actually see that that much happening. Uh, uh, in uh, ultimately, people still need to keep their money somewhere, and, and they, they they typically do it uh, with their in the local bank. Um, when it comes to trust with fintechs like us, um, you know, when we started, lots of people asked me, Norris, I mean, how do you ensure that people actually trust your service and so on? Um, uh, interesting enough, I haven't actually found this to be an issue at all, uh, because uh, when we started um, uh, early on, we started talking to our customers, gathering customer feedback uh, in writing. So currently we use 
platforms like Trustpilot and 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 Apple um, Apple Store reviews and so on. So we have gathered gathered tens of thousands of positive reviews when people openly talk about their experiences, whether it's good or bad. And I think anyone who currently uses Money's product, they would probably Google us first and see what this is all about. But, but I think here, you know, there's there's two sides to the to the trust part, right? One is the Let's say people are happy with the user experience. So in that sense, they trust the product from a, from a user experience point of view. And of course, they're going to give you positive reviews on, on the App Store and those platforms. And the other is trusting it with the money. For example, I'm, I'm, I don't use any Estonian bank anymore. I use uh, LHV to get some money there. But then on a daily basis, I use uh, N26. And when I travel, I mostly use Revolut because the user experience is better. But I'm not going to put all my money there. Right, so I think here, here the question of do you trust them with the money uh, still might come from you know uh, regulatory issues that that regulate traditional banking. So, so do you see that as a as a as an obstacle for for money easy to get trust? Uh, we we don't actually see it that way. I mean, uh, in a, on a deeper level, actually, I I uh, genuinely believe that uh, we are safer than a bank, and let me explain why that uh, that's uh, that's true. Um, so, because we are ba- not the bank ourselves, we are under uh, operating under regulatory umbrella. So it's it's a financial service it needs to be regulated, obviously. But uh, unlike um, uh, banks uh, and and customers who hold their funds at, let's say, LHV or some other bank, they're subject to 100,000 euro protection if something goes wrong. Uh, guys like us, we have to hold customer funds in a trusted bank. In the UK, for example, we are holding our funds at LHV, sorry, uh, Barclays. In Estonia, we uh, use some funds, uh, keep some funds at LHV. So what I'm trying to say here is that uh, because of our licensing uh, setup, all customer funds needs to be safe, not just up to 100,000 euros, but everything, 100%. And on top of that, we have to have our own minimum uh, capital uh, requirement, um, uh, capital uh, in, in place, which is 2%. Which also means that you cannot touch... Uh, the, the money from your Cor- customers, right? correct? Yeah. So I'm, I'm sort of as this is a little bit uh, difficult to to uh, to justify and properly explain. But basically, what I'm trying to say here is that because of our setup, 102 percent of your money is safe mm-hmm. beyond 100,000 mm-hmm. euros. So I would say it's even safer. And because we segregate those funds, we keep some funds in one country in one bank, some funds in another country. So if we go bust, something horrible happens. There is a very high chance. Hundred and two percent chance that you get your money back, and and Kaidi, for you, I think you know trust is also kind of a, an, an issue because you know you're talking of, mm-hmm. in a way, disrupting investing, disrupting a little bit this uh, early stage access to 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 funding or the possibility to mm-hmm. to invest in companies that otherwise people wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you go about uh, building trust uh, in your uh, yeah. in your system? Yeah, uh, we both, I mean, financial sector is nothing but the trust business. First, you have to build up the trust uh, starting from the uh, uh, first uh, steps. And in our case, when we started 2016, uh, those first four companies and also including Funderbeam ourselves, they had to trust us that we are securing 
uh, secure enough that uh, they can raise funds through our platform, that the funds will be transferred to their account, that the shares that they will issue will be treated uh, um, trustfully and and will be uh, then um, put in the name of, of the uh, investors or at least there's, there's the secure link between them. So in a way we provide the custody and and we provide the investment and, and there's we, we do have uh, the client account in the bank so we don't operate funds ourselves or money ourselves but but we use the, the trusted uh, banks so absolutely and and especially when investors invest imagine uh, you invest uh, 10,000 uh, euros or 50,000 euros to Muniz through uh, Funderbim for example then what do you would, would you expect you expect that this 50 is, is landing in Muniz account and in return you get your investments and whenever you trade it on the platform you we still keep track on it what what is happening in the behind so it's and and how much money has been uh, raised raised or, through or, the platform yeah. it's uh, more than 13 million but if we look at the companies that are now in the process of closing the funds and in the pipeline then we are dealing with tens of uh, of millions and and again the trust issue when we started uh, 20 uh, 16, yes, 2016. Then the first uh, largest investor was 20,000 euros, mm. one check. But now an investor invested uh, one institutional a million through the platform, the other half a million through the platform. So so this is again what, showing the trust level. What's, what's the appeal for those, uh, let's say, institutional investors to, to do things through Funderbin? Is it the access to the secondary market? Yes. Is it, okay. yes. So yes. the possibility to yes. trade immediately yes. after? Yes, right. yes, because this is this is the the main problem what we solve is the liquidity, liquidity. of the private investments, yeah. absolutely. So, so access to the capital, that's not the problem anymore. Yeah. It's like you go out and you know, we're sitting here in Palo Alto Club, which is also the one source of the funding. That's not the issue. It's the uh, illiquidity. And the plus in our case, it's the access to the global investors and with this to global markets. So I think, you know, for a while when fintech started to come to the scene, a lot of people were talking about disrupting banking. You know, mm-hmm. this is a, a large industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, places to start nibbling at this industry. Uh, we saw, for example, TransferWise, another Estonian startup that did very well with one particular mm-hmm. issue, which was the, the money transfers mm-hmm. or currency exchange uh, between euros and, and, and pounds. Um, and so a lot of small startups started nibbling at the edges of this big uh, industry that was banking. Um, then we started to see a little bit of a collaboration between some of these small fintechs. Uh, so, for example, N26, a German uh, uh, fintech, now uses TransferWise for their mm-hmm. uh, money exchanges. So they start to kind of coalesce a little bit uh, and try to to become bigger and, and disrupt banking. But at the same time, I think the reaction from the traditional banking sector was either in the beginning that, you know, this is never going to affect us, uh, some of them went into panic mode that we need to do something. Let's also disrupt ourselves or find a different way to do it. What's the status now? How does traditional banking look at you guys? And is there ever going to be more of a collaboration between these fintechs to actually tackle uh, uh, you know, traditional banking? This is just after the announcement that TransferWise just raised uh, a significant uh, round and now they're valued at uh, 
I think 3.5 3, 3. billion. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're starting to gain a little bit momentum. So how do you guys see it? Uh, so uh, have, having been in, in this uh, space for about five years and, uh, and witnessed um, the uh, disruption firsthand, uh, I, can, I can very much uh, um, uh, testify that uh, when I started Moniz, uh, for example, the, uh, even the dream of uh, real-time onboarding and account opening, it just, just wasn't there. So there was nothing, nothing was there. And right now, you know, five years later, everyone takes this as a norm so customers expect this uh, real-time mobile phone based onboarding and 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 uh, if uh, a bank doesn't do this it, they seem quite outdated so that's one of the uh, innovations and disruptions that has been happening uh, also what i what i uh, saw in the early days was the banks definitely didn't didn't think there was, was a threat. Mm-hmm. Uh, at some point, there was a little bit of a panic mode, and then and then uh, right now, what we are seeing is that, uh, for example, in the UK, we are seeing that, for example, when it comes to business banking, there is about fifteen percent of all business accounts opened in the UK today uh, go to fintech. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at the uh, top players in the neo banking space, new digital banking space, so I, I mean startups, not legacy banks, having their own new new uh, digital offerings, uh, we are seeing that significant market share is still uh, st- um, uh, single digit percentages, but it has happened over three four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, I think banks are very much noticing this right mm-hmm. now. And what we're seeing is, is an increased um, attention to what we do, for example, as well. On a daily basis, I get emails from all sorts of banks all over the world who want to partner, who want right. to cooperate. Uh, and, and because of the market sh- uh, marketplace model that many fintechs currently are introducing, uh, banks are seeing that uh, from customer's perspective. I mean, why would I be as a customer with a bank who only sells me their stuff? with high interest rates and so on. It would be much more convenient to be on a platform like Moniz, for example, that combines many offerings all over the world. And if customer is a focus, then I, as a customer, have a better choice, access to better products, cheaper products and so on. So I think this is where the shift is happening. Yeah, and I absolutely agree. And what I very much like what uh, Norris uh, just said at the beginning is that the banks uh, initially are very local. Mm-hmm. But when we look at uh, around what is happening in the economy, then the economy is becoming global. And uh, the banking system and, and the stock exchanges as well need to start serving the global customers. How do you serve the global customers when the licenses are local and, and meant to serve only the, the local uh, region? And, and this is what I think has been the main impact of, of the fintech companies and the fintech is, uh, disruption is that we have forced them to think globally Global. across the borders and, and, and this is why I think the blockchain has made a big impact on the exchanges as well is that all of a sudden you have the technology that main aim is to provide the trust across the borders. You don't need to be local. And, and if I invest in uh, uh, Moniz through Fundabin platform and you will buy it from me, then we record it in the blockchain, which is actually sometimes it's not owned by anyone. So we can trust it and we can trust the, the technology. And also the ICOs, even though we can uh, uh, discuss about the ethics of, of the ICOs at all, but it really forced every single exchange in the world to think about their business model and, and to think about their offerings. Can they do something so much faster, leaner, cheaper and and uh, all of uh, all of it? So it's, it has been a, a strong impact and and in our case also every single exchange uh, stock exchange I know has 
invested in companies like Thunderbeam, has uh, kept an eye on it, has some kind of blockchain development, right. uh, incubating, doing something. So uh, that's so good. So you're also getting phone calls from... Uh, we do, from we do, yeah. we do. You are listening to the Startup in Estonia podcast. We're going to get back to the episode shortly. To learn more about the startup ecosystem in Estonia, visit startupestonia.ee, where you can find more information about Estonian startup visa. Visit our blog, check out startup events in Estonia, and more. For up-to-date startup news, also follow Startup Estonia in Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And now, let's get back to the show. Let me get back to this point of you know the the in a way the fragmentation that uh, that the fintechs are bringing or like this disruption through eating small pieces of of the big pie. That also means that for customers, I might end up with a diversified user mm-hmm. experience because yeah. I have my products here, my products there. Uh, you know, it used to be that you know I had one relationship with one bank. Right? It would provide me everything. And I would hope that that would benefit me as a customer because they know me. I've been with them for 10 years. Uh, sadly, with some of the Swedish banks in Estonia, that's not the case because they, they were never able to offer me a, a better deal than, uh, than going somewhere else. But now what happens is that you know I have my money here, I have my insurance there, my mm-hmm. loan somewhere else, mm-hmm. my investments there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, I was counting where my money is right now and besides Thunderbeam, Bondora, mm-hmm. Investly, uh, N26, Revolut, LHV, I have money in more places that I can remember, which is a pain in the, in mm-hmm. the neck because I can't even figure out uh, you know, how to aggregate these two. The PSD2 regulation is coming and hopefully it opens up you know, information exchange mm-hmm. between these different banks. Mm-hmm. But are we seeing at some point that this is going to be aggregated? Or are we seeing that, just like in the case of, I think it's Revolut that now offers insurance, is Monizy going to start offering other products as well? Or are you going to do the sort of marketplace thing where you know you you, you work with others? Uh, for us, this is uh, we have already released our the first version of our uh, marketplace, which we call Harp, and uh, this is very very early days. But the um, uh, ultimate goal is to aggregate all these best breed services into a single app. So you, as a customer, you don't you may have your money in various places, but it's not that you have to uh, have those other apps on your phone or you don't have to go and actively remember where you got stuff. Within Moniz interface uh, there is a collection of everything that you do in your life, financial life, and you manage it from a single place. And this app is aware of what is where and is actively working on your behalf in order to make you uh, freer in terms of your time and sort of a, a mental overload. So that means also investments and... Exactly, okay. exactly. And um, uh, as I said, um, in terms of, yes, there will be uh, a few other services and many services, but we are trying to reduce the number of other services that you would actively use. Uh, so everything will be uh, within the same app. And, and for Thunderbeam, how do you see that? The integration with, let's say, you know, either traditional banking services or uh, other investment uh, uh, opportunities. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's uh, coming. Um, 
we because our um, our business started from uh, raising the funds or enabling raising the funds, and uh, here we compete with crowdfunding platforms. And what we already see is a huge uh, consolidation between the uh, crowdfunding platforms uh, taking over and and merging, and and these uh, matters happening. What about uh, trading? On the trading, we obviously need to integrate the KYC uh, for the customers and the others. But exactly what uh, Norris was saying, uh, when uh, one of the competing uh, ideas for Fundabin for me was uh, to build the my banking um, uh, solution is that I as a customer could uh, build my own banking interface and then decide that okay uh, I'm going to start uh, investing through Fundabin I'm going to start uh, transacting uh, um, uh, sending funds through TransferWise I'm mm-hmm. going to have my bank account in my knees I could aggregate it into my my bank and then decide where my user interface is, is uh, green or, or uh, white and, and all these kind of things. So we're getting there because iPhone is already like an aggregator of, of different services what we as a humans need in our life from banking to the parking. And, and the same will soon uh, happen with, with the, with the uh, services. And I think it's a big business uh, also for all of us if, if uh, Moniz is serving the global market and TransferWise is serving the global market then this will be available from one, uh, one banking app then you can actually... Uh, tackle very wide variety of customers. And the BSD2 obviously brings brings together even even uh, uh, bigger opportunities, right? I mean, we don't have to actually integrate anything. We uh, we can take advantage of this uh, connectivity that comes through API and customer can be their own boss. They can uh, add whatever they want. They are in control of their data, who accesses what and so on. So as a customer, then you can uh, bring even more services to the uh, whatever existing platform. You both mentioned several times, you know, about global uh, global banking, access to uh, to different uh, markets, and making sure that you know the, the the clients, if they if they are living in different countries, uh, they can you know either get banking or investment opportunities. Does that mean that your first uh, target audiences are the, the the digital nomads, or are we talking about you know just expanding country by country at a time? What's what's your take on on target audiences and and this sort of global expansion? Um, as 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 Kaidi said uh, early on, that the mob, uh, world is becoming much more uh, mobile than it ever has been in the human history. People are moving around. You don't die in the same place where you were born anymore. And and uh, we are building a service for individuals who are internationally active who move to another country. And it's not to, it's not anymore about you know only the access to the services. You want the convenience. You want the price as well. And you want your finances to move with you. Like you want to have your little financial cloud surrounding you or language cloud wherever you go. You want your bank to know who you are, where you are and all that. So I think... It's much broader than just digital nomads. Um, for example, we are seeing also that you know people are marrying uh, to uh, people from another country. Uh, you have your family, your mother, for example. My mother lives here in Tallinn, but I live in London, for example. So uh, remittance between different countries, regular remittance and so on. So we are focusing on that. So I think mo- the world is moving in that direction really, really rapidly. And we're not talking about sort of a single digit millions of people. We're talking about hundreds and hundreds of millions who move like this and who have relationships abroad? We uh, take country by the country because we're in, uh, in so 
super hyper-regulated industry as the fintech is. So uh, we have to first get the uh, regulatory clearance in every single country and then we take the country by the country. But if uh, investors find the investment opportunity interesting without us doing any solicitation from any other, like one investor is from Fiji, uh, then uh, obviously they are welcome uh, to join our platform. So as How did that work? Did they have to invest through uh, through Estonia or through the UK? or how did... No, no. The, the way they... Uh, uh, they invest is that first uh, they set up their uh, investor account. We do the KYC uh, of the person, check the passport and all of it, open the account. And if they would like to uh, invest to any uh, companies, then we have the uh, um, uh, funds in uh, LHV accounts and investor transfer. This is like the client account, again, separates from, from us, our role. And, and from that account, he or she can start making investments uh, through the platforms. So when you're saying that, you know, you go country by country because of the regulatory mm-hmm. uh, issues, I think, you know, in the beginning when you started, you also had to navigate some of those regulatory yeah. waters quite yeah, yeah. well because a lot of what you were bringing was disruptive in the sense that, you know, this secondary markets for uh, yeah. for uh, early stage investments. So tell us a little bit about the hurdles and, yeah. and, and how was it like, you know, in Estonia at first and, yeah. and when you had to go to a second country. Yeah, yeah, abs- absolutely. So in, in our case, uh, the uh, crowdfunding as such and funding and the prospectus uh, regulations, that's like a common in, in every single country. But when we talk about the trading and providing the trading, then this is where things became complicated. Um, and first, we just wanted to launch sort of uh, in a very... Um, uh, limited environments here in Estonia to see whether this business model actually works. Whether someone, like so many VCs said, nobody wants to trade with startups. So you may try, but nobody wants to trade it. So we had to find a way how we can do it with a limited scope. And then also if you go to our trading platform, you see it, it's 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 more like a bulletin board. There's somebody selling and somebody is buying, but there is an opportunity of, of the secondary market. And uh, and. We had the first uh, no action letter issued by the Estonian regulator so we could start to operate out of this country. And when we figured out that there is a business opportunity and then this is uh, highly welcomed by the users, then we applied for the um, a primary market license in the UK so that we could passport it. Because Estonia still being part of the uh, European uh, directive systems, there was one p- peculiarity back then when we started to apply to the license, which was uh, the uh, customer onboarding, and you had to do face-to-face recog- okay, right. uh, customer recognition. So this this was showstopper for us. And for the trading, we also uh, uh, wanted to have the license close home, but because of the European directive, uh, uh, the they more regulate the existing business model and they regulate the service providers. Whereas if you regulate the service, it doesn't matter who provides the service, uh, but the service has to be, you know, uh, up to the regulation. And so we started to look around which of those countries could accommodate our new business model and a novel business model. And then we ended up in Singapore. So we applied for the trading uh, license in Singapore. And once we get it, uh, then the whole global trading will be uh, served uh, 
and through Singapore. Then we can really build like a trading trading, not and just a bulletin board. <laughs> and when's that? Uh, what, what's well, that soon. Gonna... We hope to uh, soon because we're uh, uh, applied last summer. We got the final comments and and uh, some some partial approval from the regulator. Um, submitted final documents. So so let's see. Like even the Singapore regulator said that you are gonna be the first one ever. We will issue this type of uh, or the license for this type of service. So sorry, it, it takes a bit of, of time, but we have to be absolutely sure that the service you provide is mm-hmm. trustful. Mm-hmm. And 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 so by by doing this, uh, you know, global expansion, country by country, you also have. Uh, uh, offices and, and teams in many countries. Yes. Where, where are you uh, present? Uh, we are. We started here in Tallinn, and uh, still the largest team in St- uh, in Tallinn. Engineers are here, and and uh, back office team is here. Then we have London. We have uh, Zagreb, Croatia, uh, Copenhagen, uh, Singapore, and hopefully opening up new markets. So, in those offices, you have them because of the being expansion clo- model. Because of uh, being closer to the clients. Yes, the clients. it's it's for. You still need to meet people. You still need to meet companies. You still need to meet investors before you build this critical trust level that the product and then the service becomes viral. So, so in that sense, it's part of the expansion plan. Yes, the, yes, the, absolutely, the, the absolutely. The core team is based in, in Tallinn. The core team is based everywhere. Okay, <laughs> that's good. I'm in Singapore, in Tallinn. We have a head of operations and head of legal in London. We have head of sales and chief financial officers. So we're everywhere. So it's a distributed team. <laughs> it is. Like and Aris, how is it for you? I mean, you also you keep saying you know global, but uh, but does that approach also mean having offices all over the place, or how do you distribute the team? Yeah, exactly. Our teams are also very distributed, so we don't have any sort of a. We do have an office, um, the biggest in terms of uh, headcount. We have the biggest office here uh, in Tallinn, and we have a head office uh, officially is London, but the team there is a little bit smaller. Um, then we recently opened uh, Lisbon office in Portugal and also in Berlin. So we're in four countries in uh, Europe uh, right but, now. But those offices in Berlin and in Lisbon, are they there from a market, market expansion point of view or is it more the talent? Or? It's, it's, it's both actually. So <clears throat> when we, um, we grow pretty quickly at some moment. So uh, we are currently uh, nearing 300 uh, people. Uh, we hired uh, over 100 people in the past sort of uh, six, seven months alone. And it, uh, when, you, when you hire 100 people in six months or 200 people in a year, then it becomes actually quite tricky. Um, especially, for example, here in Tallinn, and even in London. I mean, it's it's uh, it's it's difficult. So we made the choice to uh, move to Portugal uh, mainly for the talent reasons, because our uh, team is very very multicultural and very um, and and we found that in Lisbon there is uh, abundance of uh, talent who are coming from abroad and speak many languages and so on. Uh, but also clo- being closer to the customers. So Germany is one of our key markets. So it would be unimaginable to run everything from Tallinn or London and not being actually uh, on the ground. And that's the approach we take. We also see ourselves opening a significant number of new offices around the world in, in, the, in the coming years. So it's, it's not that we are going to be only... In Europe. Europe is still your playground at the moment in terms it's, of it's clients. a starting point. Yeah. So as uh, um, uh, just as UK was our starting point uh, three four years ago, uh, we have now a significant amount of actually a bigger pool of uh, customers coming from uh, Germany and France and so on than it is in the UK, from the UK. So UK is not the priority anymore. It's Europe. And once we open our doors uh, outside Europe in a significant markets, so it's uh, there is a chance that Europe will actually 
become smaller market than some others. So and let's talk a little bit about the future. Um, you know, you guys started by having a very novel approach to to what you're doing. You know, in, in, in kind of in your case, it was a little bit out of this frustration that things couldn't couldn't be done in a certain way. Uh, user experience has been the core focus for both of your uh, your products, and that has allowed you to to grow uh, quite quickly. What's 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 the end game? What what does Thunderbeam and, and Moneze want to be when they grow up? Is the end game to be uh, acquired by a by a, an existing incumbent uh, financial institution? Uh, where, where do you guys want to see this? It's for for us. It's actually uh, easy. We are building the exchange where Thunderbeam can be listed. Okay, so you're building exchange where Thunderbeam can actually be listed. That's a, that's a good one. I like that. And for us, I think in order to achieve our uh, mission and vision, really, uh, which is to to provide services to as many people as uh, possible, we're talking about uh, hopefully hundreds of millions of customers in the long run. So doing so as a part of uh, some bank's uh, division, I don't think is going to happen. Uh, so uh, I think the goal is to remain private as long as possible and uh, potentially uh, IPO at some point just to release equity. Um, uh, the value to the, back to the team and so on and investors, but uh, but I don't think IPO now in the next couple of years would be a good uh, decision. You either. just have to wait enough time until. Yeah, I, I was about to say, <laughs> and we are building the exchange where monies can exactly. be listed. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a good one, but uh, but I mean, you know, this this uh, the the people who don't have banks. I, I just came back from a trip to to Africa. And uh, it was a fascinating and eye-opening experience for me because you see that just like Estonia in the 90s was able to leap uh, a couple of technologies and you know start from a clean slate and, and not have to deal with legacy issues. Um, in Africa, a lot of the people that were unbanked recently have leapfrogged a couple of technologies. So for example, bank cards is not something that they care about. Like I was traveling through the country um, trying to get access to, uh, to uh, an ATM in, in Rwanda and in the capital cities, you see that, but if you move a little bit to the countryside, what you see is a lot of mobile banking. So you see a lot of uh, telcos taking over the role of uh, providing you know, banking service to people who traditionally didn't have. Um, how, how does Moniz see that? And does Thunderbeam have something to offer for people who so far had been excluded from, for example, access to, uh, to, to investment opportunities? This is where the beauty of our model kicks in. So we have uh, always seen that as a global business, you cannot uh, provide exactly the same service everywhere. What works uh, here in Europe and in the UK, uh, where we have current account cards, remittance and uh, you know lending products coming and all that, it's not necessarily the case in Asia, for example. So as you said, leapfrogging uh, and uh, skipping some of the... Uh, so for example, bank account may not be relevant or card may not be relevant at all in some jurisdictions. So what Moniz will then do is we will uh, investigate the market, see what's relevant, what will be uh, important for customers in those markets, and we will launch a service that is relevant in those markets. But it's still going to be under Moniz's uh, mm-hmm. umbrella. So you can, as a customer, here in the uh, Europe, let's say you have accounts cards, when you um, move to another country, um, you will be able to tap into whatever is available there. So just like Uber, for example, in different countries, actually, uh, what you get within a single app, actually, it's slightly different. Slightly different, yeah. Yeah, we, uh, that's, that's the, uh, 
the visionary aim of, of Vanderbeam to provide uh, access to the capital and investment opportunities to underserved uh, markets because um, 20, 2005 when I was heading the local uh, Italian stock exchange and and uh, we tried to build the links between the largest exchanges and there was this uh, clearing settlement houses and we tried to build the APIs with them but they looked at us and said well, the volume is so small we're never going to be profitable with this links so we're not take the investment which means that Estonia as a market was cut out from uh, global capital uh, markets and that is absolutely unfair because some large corporations decide not to serve you and and when you start a company from the uh, from the country which has very limited access to the uh, angel funding or VC funding but you still have a good business idea and and this is the beauty of the technology and actually the markets being uh, uh, or uh, the global markets opening up so we, we we hope that we can provide the opportunities and we are introducing more and more uh, payments uh, possibilities for for the people whenever they come from. And, and and finally, to to close things off, what's what's your number one priority at the moment for your company? What's your sort of number one uh, task on your to do list? For us, sustainable growth. So uh, growing uh, very quickly without breaking things. Okay, and Kaidi. And in uh, our case, it's to finalize everything with the Singapore trading license and build like the proper trading platform. Super. Well, uh, very uh, happy to have you both on the show. I think uh, our our listeners got an insight into how how fintechs operate and how they they think about uh, the challenges ahead. And I hope to hear from you soon when your uh, you know exchange is ready and when Moniz is ready to to be listed there. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for listening to the Startup in Estonia podcast. We'll be back with a new episode very soon. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud so you can get every episode delivered to you directly. We'll be back in two weeks' time with a fresh dose of inspiration. See you soon.